People donate their money to rebuild Notre Dame and get shamed. Muslims kill hundreds of Christians and the media blames Christians. And we have a world religion you might not know about, but no one is allowed to criticize it and everyone must believe in it. This week, we're talking religion. talking about the Notre Dame fire. We're going to be talking about um, the Christians that are being attacked worldwide. And I'm going to talk about environmentalism and how it is actually a religion. But before I get into all of that stuff, I want to remind you to check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com. I have a lot of new videos going up and a lot of new blogs. So please go over there and check that out. Also, there is a store on my page and lots of interesting things you can find there. Uh, there's resources to help you if you want to do more pro-life activism, you want to learn more about what the pro-life stance is. There's a lot of books there on Israel. Uh, we have clothing you can buy. There are a whole bunch of stuff. So check out the store and also check out my other podcasts that I have. Uh, gifts from God, where we are talking about adoption and about foster care. So please go to my website, lauraleesiemens.com for all of that stuff. Okay, so on April 15th, the Notre Dame caught fire shortly after closing for the day. The church is being upgraded and the cause of the fire is still unknown. All around the world, people took notice of this fire and that's because of the history of the church. Okay, this church was built on the grounds of another church that had actually been built in the 4th century. The first church was built in memory of Stephen, the first martyr in the Christian faith. So in the year 1160, it was decided to build a larger church. And they were going to build this church in the Gothic style because that was really popular at that time. The building was finished in 1345, so it took about 200 years to build this church. This building has extreme historical significance. So just for one example, in the year 1431, on December the 16th, King Henry VI was crowned king at the age of 10. About 12 million people visit this church each year. So it's not surprising people were actually horrified at the sight of this church burning. I am not Catholic, but I do really love history and I couldn't even watch this building burn. Almost immediately, Catholics and other people who love history began donating money for the rebuilding of this church. And before the building was even safe to enter, $1 billion had been donated to rebuild the church. It took about five minutes for the outrage to start. I mean, outrage. Not that the building had been burned, but that people donated money to have it fixed. I've seen so much outrage about the money and hardly anything about the fire. And the memes are all the same. There's on one side, there's a picture of a little girl starving and on the other side, a picture of the church. And the captions are all pretty similar. Why give money to a church when people are starving? We can raise $1 billion in a few hours for a building. We should have solved the world hunger problem by now. There's lots of different versions of this meme, but the point is basically the same. Shame the people who donated money to the church and then blame them for the problem of world hunger. I think every other post on my social media was one of these memes. So here's an unpopular opinion. Not only is it fine to donate money to rebuild Notre Dame, it's probably also a good thing. I'm going to give you four reasons. One, the West gives to the poor. One of the memes I read said, what would it look like if we donated to the poor instead of a building? Well, we don't have to imagine what that would look like. We've seen it many, many times. 
Every time there's a natural disaster, a flood, an earthquake, a tsunami, the West donates billions of dollars in aid. Christians here in the West, they leave their homes. They actually move to third world countries and open up orphanages. People travel to third world countries to build homes, to build schools and hospitals. They dig wells or they just go and love on the people. We donate billions of dollars to organizations like Compassion and Action Against Hunger and Village Reach or Kids and a whole bunch more. There's even organizations, and I've talked about them before on this podcast, you can donate money and they will go and buy slaves from slave markets in Libya and then give those people their freedom. So the West, and to be even more specific, the Christians in the West have definitely been doing their fair share of helping the poor. Secondly, the building does actually need to be rebuilt. What do you think is supposed to happen to this church? Do you want it to just stand half burnt as the focal point of Paris? Would you want that as the focal point of your town? The church is a major reason people travel to that area of Paris. It means that the shops and the cafes and the hotels, they actually need the church to be rebuilt. And the rebuild needs to be the same beauty and the same magnitude of the original church if it's going to continue to be a tourist attraction. Now, the church could demand that taxpayers pay for the rebuild and it would make sense that taxpayers use the church and they gain money from the tourists who visit it. But the taxpayer will not be paying for the rebuild because donations are going to be used to rebuild it. As a libertarian, that's exactly what I want to have happen. Third, there's a Bible story that has a similar situation. Okay, about 10 years ago, I was part of this church that was going through an addition. And someone donated these beautiful, elaborate wooden doors for the sanctuary. They were honestly the most beautiful, elaborate wooden doors I've ever seen. I was giving a friend a tour of the building a few weeks after the comp- after we completed the renovations. And I pointed out the beauty of these doors. And my friend said, it would have been better to just give that money to poor people instead of spending it on something useless like a door. I thought, that's kind of rude. But I took time to think through how I felt about it and see maybe he was right. And after thinking through it, uh, he wasn't. As I looked through the Old Testament, I could see that God was not only okay with elaborate designs on the tabernacle and the temple, he actually required it. And in the New Testament, there's a story of the woman who comes to Jesus and pours expensive oil on his feet. One of the disciples becomes very angry. The disciple says, why would you spend so much money on something like that when there's poor people we could feed? Sound familiar? Oh, and just so you're aware, that disciple was Judas. I know that now, as Christians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God does not demand elaborate, expensive churches. But I also can't find any place in the New Testament where God condemns it. Fourth, if you are one of the ones posting this, I'm going to prove right now that you probably don't believe it yourself. Let me ask you something. Think about this honestly. Do you have a flat screen TV? Do you have nice clothes? Have you done renovations in your home? How much money in your personal budget goes to the poor? If you spend money on your personal home to make it look better or to be more comfortable or to upgrade your appliances, that is all money that you could have spent on the poor. And our churches here in Canada, we don't have elaborate buildings. Look, I'm a Baptist and as Baptists, we tend to not have big elaborate buildings. But we spend a lot of money on lighting and sound systems and gymnasiums and fancy comfortable chairs and coffee. And all of that is fine. But if your church spends money on that, you can't mock a church that spends money on beautiful art or elaborate buildings. All right, here's questions you might be asking. First of all, am I personally going to donate money? No, I'm not a Catholic and I'm not giving any money to the Catholic church. However, I would like to visit it one day because the history behind it is pretty awesome. 
two, am I aware of where the money came for the original building? Yeah. So a lot of it came from indulgences, which was money taken away from poor people by convincing them they would get to heaven if they gave money. It was pretty bad. So bad, in fact, that it started a revolution and split the church. And eventually that's where Baptists came from. Doesn't that mean then that it shouldn't be rebuilt? I mean, if it was built on the backs of poor people, well, that was like 600 years ago. And no one is asking poor people to donate money to it now. Actually, the really, really rich people of the world are the ones doing the donating, which is kind of a beautiful thing. Okay, the other question we need to ask is why? Why was the attack so instant against people donating money to the church? And I can't help but think, if the Taj Mahal had burned, people would not be upset about money going to rebuild it. In fact, I guarantee that the Canadian and the American government would donate our tax dollars to help the Taj Mahal be rebuilt if it had been burned. We can see how people treat Christianity different than other religions. Now, that was not only just clear with the burning of Notre Dame, it was even more crystal clear when we could see what happened on Easter Sunday. And let's tell that story. It was a beautiful morning, and the children at Zion Church were excited for Easter service. The large room that housed the kids' service was echoing with giggles and the sound of fancy shoes running on the concrete floor. A little girl with a special pink dress that flowed when she twirled giggled and ran to the front of the room, eager to be in the front row. The room was soon filled with children. A man with black suit pants and a crisp white dress shirt stood at the front, and soon the children were all singing. Praises to God on this Easter morning. The hallelujahs to the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. With arms reached to the sky, the children sang their praises. Girls in colorful Easter dresses and boys in dress shirts singing praises to God. After singing, the children sat on the floor and a beautiful woman with long black hair and dressed in traditional black Indian dress with silver lining stood before the children. Her Bible in one hand, she talked to the kids about the essence of the Easter story. God had given his life for us, but he had overcome death. Death was not to be feared anymore. The teacher said that following Jesus might mean losing your life. It would mean letting God have control of your life. Twenty-six children came and knelt in a circle, giving their lives to Jesus. Around them, other children stood holding candles. The group dedicated their lives to Jesus, saying they were willing to serve him no matter the cost. Another woman stood before the children, long black hair and a red and black traditional dress. She opened her Bible and the children opened their Bibles. They stood and read together, and then they prayed. As the prayer ended, the children headed upstairs to find their parents. The adults were in the main hall of the church, and a Muslim man with a backpack entered the building with a bomb. Zion Church erupted into a gulf of flames. The walls were instantly smeared with splattering of blood. And 22 of the children who had just dedicated their lives to Jesus, saying they would follow him even if it meant death, were standing in God's presence. At that exact moment in St. Anthony's and in St. Sebastian's Church, more bombs exploded. And at the same time, in three hotels, more bombs exploded. So far, the count is over 340 dead and over 500 wounded. A man named Sedusha was at St. Sebastian's Church. His wife and his only child, a little girl, were both killed. A local Islamic extremist group was behind the attacks, but they also had the aid of ISIS. This horrific tragedy proved to be a nightmare for the leftist politicians and the media in the West. What are they going to do? The picture they paint is Islam is a peaceful religion and Christians, they are the bad guys. So how does this story get covered? I mean, Christians are killed en masse all the time and it's basically ignored, but we're talking about around a thousand people injured or dead in timed attacks. 
you can't really ignore it. So someone came up with the idea. I'm not sure who, but I'm sure they thought it was brilliant. It wasn't. They say the victims were Easter worshipers. This was the term used by leftist politicians. They tweeted out the horror of violence on this Easter day when so many people of many different faiths were worshiping and this attack on Easter worshipers. No mention of Islam extremists and no mention of Christians. We're going to look later at the idea of many religions celebrating Easter, but right now let's look at Easter worshipers. These children, singing with their arms reached to the sky, kneeling in dedication, standing to read God's word, were not worshiping Easter. They were worshiping Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our shepherd, our healer, our friend, our God. That's who the children were worshiping. But Andy West, who's a journalist from The Independent in the UK, he actually figured out a way to blame Christians. Even better, white Christians in the West. Now, this takes some mental gymnastics, but see if you can follow. So after the tsunami that hit Asia, evangelical Christians went to Asia and offered food and shelter and care for the Buddhists who were suffering. But they also converted them to Christianity. Now, just to be clear, you can't actually forcibly convert people to Christianity because that's not really how it works. Basically, the Buddhists saw the love the Christians had and a lot of them chose to follow Jesus. But anyway, that was the start of churches really opening up in the area. So according to Andy West, if the evangelical missionaries had not come after the tsunami and told people about Jesus, then they wouldn't have been in the church when it blew up. So it's not Muslims' fault. It's the evangelical Christians in the West who brought Jesus to the Buddhists. This, of course, is totally ignoring the fact that Buddhists and Muslims have been fighting and killing each other for kind of a long time. So chances are this could still have happened if they had been Buddhist. But anyway, the Washington Post wasn't much better. This is an actual headline. Sri Lanka attack stirs far-right anger. Ah, uh, shouldn't it stir everyone's anger. So if you're angry that these people were killed, you're far right. This article showed tweets of right-leaning politicians who were angry about the attack, called out Islamist terrorists, and actually used the word Christians when talking about the victims. Here in Canada, a local newspaper ran the story while of course leaving out any ties to Islam, and someone commented on the post with this meme about peaceful religions killing people. And right underneath, a woman wrote that if this man didn't delete his post, she would report him. Now that's kind of weird. I mean, this guy was posting it on a local newspaper, not exactly secret. Who exactly was she planning on reporting this to? Out of curiosity, I clicked her profile and yeah, she's a teacher at a local school. So that's terrific. I would recommend she add to her reading list a really good book. I totally recommend it. 1984. So this woman then went on to say that there was no ties to Islam and pointing to that way wasn't helpful. I totally disagree. First of all, it was Islam. Every single bomber was a follower of Islam. One of them was named Mohammed Mohammed. So probably wasn't a Pentecostal. And it actually is helpful to look at who is doing this and then look at why. That way, we know who we are fighting. And since this particular lady is a school teacher, it made me wonder. After the Christchurch mosque shooting, the junior high school near me had an assembly. They talked about Islamophobia and why it's wrong to criticize the religion of Islam and how it's this beautiful, peaceful religion. I wonder if they will have an assembly this week saying it's wrong to criticize Christianity and that that's a peaceful religion. I'm not going to hold my breath. Yesterday on talk radio in Toronto, they were still saying they didn't know the cause or who did it, even though ISIS said they did it and they have a video of the bomber standing with them saying he's going to kill in the name of Allah. The talk radio in Toronto said we should not believe ISIS because, you know, it's a peaceful religion. 
I'm sure the left politicians and the media would like to have simply just ignored the story, like they do with the rest of the stories about Christians being murdered. Like this story, which also happened recently and was completely ignored. According to any press I could find, herdsmen attacked a group of people during a baby naming ceremony and killed 16. So there's a few things that any press who covered this story left out. But there's Christians living in the village who have given out more information and it was published in Christianity Today. So here is the actual story. On April 14th, Palm Sunday, a special gathering was taking place. In this Nigerian village, it's customary to name your child on the eighth day of their life. This is done because Jesus was taken to the temple and dedicated on the eighth day. The names are actually very significant. The child's name is usually a way to proclaim the parents will raise their child to love and honor Jesus Christ. In the Numa village, three churches combined for this special day. There was a Rahaya Baptist Church, an Evangelical Reformed Church of Christ, and the Evangelical Church named Winning All. In this early morning at the Baptist Church, Zephratu and John held their tiny baby boy and promised God they would raise him to love and honor Jesus Christ. The family and friends then spent the day in celebration, and at the close of the day, while the celebrations were wrapping up, gunmen stormed into the room and began shooting. Zephratu and John were both shot. A 100-year-old man was shot. At the end of the day, 16 were dead, little kids, old men, and a pregnant mother. These same people had been to the village earlier where they had taken a little girl and raped her to death. Nigeria is actually the 12th worst place in the world for Christian. These herdsmen are a group of about 20 million Muslims who travel around West and Central Africa. They've been targeting Christians for a long time now. They're basically being ignored by the media. Just last month, on March 4th, they attacked three different villages in just one day. 23 people killed with machetes. Later in the month, 52 were killed and 143 homes were built. So far, over 6,000 Christians have been killed by these Muslim herdsmen. So why haven't you heard this? Why is the left not reporting on this? Well, on Snoops, which is, by the way, a very left-leaning site, they said the claim was mix. So what is true? Yeah, herdsmen really did kill all those people and destroy all those villages. What is false? Well, religion didn't really have anything to do with it, and it's a more complicated situation. So just to be clear, according to Snoops, all the dead are Christians, and all the ones doing the killings are followers of Islam, but it has nothing to do with religion. What's the left's... I don't understand what is the left's deal with religion anyway. Why the hatred for Christianity, and at the same time, the pull towards Islam? Even though the religion of Islam is everything the left hates, it's actually anti-women's rights. They call for the death of gays and trans. It's a completely male-dominated religion. So why? Why the love for Islam? I was a guest recently on a YouTube channel in Australia, and we talked about this exact thing. You see, God created us to worship. This is actually our purpose. And if we are not worshiping, we will not feel complete. So when you walk away from Christianity, you still need to worship something. And that is a pull for people who don't want God. Besides Islam, there's another religion that we are not allowed to criticize. This is a worldwide religion and one that is unfortunately becoming part of many churches as well. In fact, it's actually very rare for me to find a Christian who does not also practice this religion as well. Let's jump back to the tweets from the left politicians about the Easter Day massacres. They said on this day when many faiths are worshiping. What did that mean? Well, for Jewish people, it is Passover, and for Christians, it is Easter. That's two, but not many. But there's one more massive religious holiday celebrated around the world at this same time, Earth Day, the sacred day for the environmentalist religion. And so you're probably thinking, whoa, 
environmentalism is not a religion. So let's really dive into this. First of all, what exactly is a religion? Well, anthropology says religion is a collective set of beliefs. There are leaders who promote these beliefs among its followers, and then followers must make sacrifices and lifestyle changes. There's a world view that is changed when you become a follower of a religion. The religion will have a definite line of right and wrong, and religions have their own languages and their own rituals. What if I was to say there was a collective group of people who believed there was once a time when the earth was beautiful and perfect and then humans sinned and that sin ruined our earth. We are punished now with earthquakes and storms and if we're not saved, the world will end in just a few short years. But we can find salvation. That salvation will come when you give away your money and your freedom. You must also never ask questions and you must believe everything you are told about this doctrine. Any questions makes you an heretic and an unbeliever. And the unbelievers are actually the cause of the sin and we cannot be saved from future doom until we rid ourselves of all unbelievers. With that at least hint of a religion. This is actually the essence of the environmentalist belief system. The world was once great, then humans ruined it. Every storm is a reminder of our great sin. We're all going to die in 12 years, but there is a way for us to be saved. Heavy taxation and government control. You may not ask questions. You may not point out that we have been predicting we're all going to die in 12 years for almost 50 years because that makes you a climate denier and it's probably your fault we're all going to die. Here is the actual definition of a religion. The expression of human belief in and reverence for a superhuman power which may be recognized as a creator and governor of the universe. Let me read you something I saw this week on Earth Day. Dear Earth, Thank you for what you give us every day. Thank you for providing us with hope and a future that we can aspire to reach in life. I wish more people would realize what a beautiful thing they have been given. It's remarkable. We hurt you, but we are working hard to fix our actions now. You are celebrated and loved more than ever before. Thank you. Now that sounds like a very religious prayer and actual literal words taken from the Bible because it is God who said he has hope and a future for us, not the earth who has hope and a future for us. Let's look at other similarities between environmentalism and religion. They both have a value system. There are things you can and cannot do. And from this value system, you gain a purpose to life. They have their own terms, things like green or sustainability or global warming, climate change, buy local, think global, recycle, reduce, reuse. Both have sacred days, both religions and environmentalism. So we have we have Earth Day, we have Earth Hour, we have Ocean Day. We have all these green special days. Both have rituals that do nothing except show the one you are worshiping, you are giving yourself to it. So for example, Earth Hour, when everyone turns off their lights and just thinks about the earth. That does exactly nothing to help in any way. And actually, when everyone turns their lights back on at the same time, it puts a drain on our system. Its only purpose is to be a religious ritual. It is simply a way of worship. Both is both environmentalism and religions are given a free pass. You don't question things. You have faith. Look, if someone says to me they believe something weird, like they used to be a rabbit in another life because that's their religion, I don't bother to try to explain to them that they scientifically could not have been a rabbit in a past life because it's their religion. It doesn't have to make sense. It's faith. The same thing is true with all these claims we have about environmentalism. AOC says we're all going to die in like 12 years, and then two months later, we're all going to die in like 10 years. That's So what, two years just passed in two months? And if that's true, why bother trying to fix anything if we can't possibly change anything in the next 10 years, especially if two years pass in just a few weeks? 
And I'm also looking outside right now and I have a hard time believing this is all going to end in 12 or 10 years because it looks basically the same way it has every spring as long as I can remember. We can't point out that we've been told we're all going to die in a few years since 1970 and life has actually only gotten better. You can't ask questions. When people say these crazy things, everyone just claps for them. Both environmentalism and religion have high priests, people who are powerful and worshipped, and we must agree with everything they say. I would put David Suzuki in that category. You're just not allowed to criticize him in any way. Both In both cases, heretics are destroyed. Go on social media and just question a claim made by environmentalists and see what happens. The actual founder of Greenpeace has been calling out the movement on things they are saying that are completely scientifically flawed. And they're treating him the way you treat a heretic who leaves a religion. They have done everything possible to destroy him. Okay, there's two basic types of religion. There's pantheism and monotheism. So monotheism believes that there's one God and he exists outside of creation. So Jews, Muslims, Christians, they are considered monotheists. Pantheism is the belief that there are many gods and that they actually exist inside creation. The sun god, the moon god, the star god. So environmentalism falls under the pantheism religion structure. We have a Mother Earth, who was once just a cartoon version of the movement, has actually become a worshipped deity. Trees are worshipped. I mean, literally, people go into the forest and talk to trees, weep over the trees. And there's even a new weird thing where people have sex with trees. And I don't want to know how that works. Let's look at Earth Day and let's get a little bit of history. One particular interesting bit of history from Earth Day is a guy named Ira. So Ira was born on May 15th, 1940. He was just this middle-class kid and he went to the University of Pennsylvania. In the 60s and in the early 70s, he was really active in the anti-war movement. He was really against anything that was establishment. And in 1970, Ira helped launch Earth Day. A few years later, Ira met Molly and they began dating. But in 1977, Molly broke up with Ira and moved to New York. Ira was extremely angry about this and said he was going to take all her belongings and throw them in the garbage. So Molly returned to Pennsylvania to get her things and was never seen again. The police questioned Ira about Molly's disappearance and he claimed she went out to get some tofu and never came home. But a year later, people in the apartment were complaining about this horrible smell that was all throughout the building. And the police went into Ira's apartment and found Molly's body in a trunk in Ira's apartment in his closet. He had lived in that apartment with his dead ex-girlfriend's body for over a year. Ira was then released from prison on bail and then in 1981 he escaped to Europe. So the trial went on without Ira and he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with no parole. But he was actually living free in Europe, married to this woman named Annika. Finally, in 1997, Ira was found in France and America asked for him back. Ira fought this claiming first he would get the death penalty and France law says a person cannot be sent back to a country if they will receive the death penalty. And then claiming he was not present at the trial, so it was unfair. So America agreed no death penalty and a retrial. So finally, in 2002, Ira was back in the States and standing trial. He claimed the CIA killed Molly and then put her body in his closet because Ira had information on the Cold War. Basically, Ira is this paranoid conspiracy theorist, which would explain a lot about the dire predictions that were made on that first Earth Day. In April 2016, he was moved to a minimum security prison where he still is today. Not surprising, the environmentalist movement has tried to cut ties with Ira and say he had nothing to do with the founding of Earth Day. Besides the fact that the Earth Day had this crazy conspiracy theorist that's one of its founders, there's a bunch of other problems associated with the first Earth Day. Here are some of the things predicted on that first Earth Day 49 years ago. We were supposed to run out of crude oil by the year 2000. So an actual quote from the first Earth Day in one of the speeches, 
you will drive up to the pump and say, fill her up, buddy, and they will say, sorry, there isn't any. By the 90s, we're supposed to be in a massive famine and half the world is supposed to have starved. That was something that was supposed to happen no matter what. In fact, one of the other quotes is, it's already too late to avoid mass starvation. In 1970, they said 100 to 200 million people would die every year from starvation in the next 10 years. So we would be living in this massive, starved to death world by 1980. And it was going to start in India and then Pakistan and then China and then Africa. All these areas were supposed to be dead by the year 2000. I don't know. China and India still have a couple of people. While there are clearly still problems that need to be solved in regards to world hunger, things are actually much better now than they were on that first Earth Day. We're all supposed to be wearing gas masks now every single time we go outside, but actually the air quality is getting better. The air pollutions have decreased by 73% since 1970, and that's happened even though we have more cars on the road and a lot more people. Civilization is supposed to, was supposed to end in 15 to 30 years. End. Done. No more civilization. That was predicted 49 years ago, and I think civilization is doing pretty well. Every single prediction made on that first Earth Day, actually the exact opposite has come true. Every 10 years, the alarmists come out with a new prediction and new horror stories that we're all going to die in about 10 to 12 years. It never turns out to be true. So, why every time I post something to say something critical about the environmentalist religion, I get people sending me this long thing about how, why we have to care for our planet. Dude, I care for the planet. Don't waste your time writing this big long thing. I don't want dirty water and I don't want all the trees cut down. I don't want trash in the streets. I don't want trash in the ocean. So don't waste your time writing up this big long thing about why that's bad. Here's my beef. It'll take science and innovation to fix these problems we have. And a pantheistic religion is actually stopping us from making real impactful solutions. Let me explain. Science. Science is theories. And then you test your theories. And then you question the results. And you do more tests. And you let people who disagree with the findings take those findings and test them. You cannot do this with environmentalism. Case in point. Here's a problem. We have massive amounts of plastic in our oceans. It's gross and it's causing harm that's possibly unfixable. I think we can all agree that that is correct. Here's a solution that is stupid and pointless. Stop using straws. So here's a fact. 90% of the plastic in the ocean comes from 10 rivers, none of which are in North America. Here's another fact. 86% of the plastic in the ocean comes from the continent of Asia. So, solution. Where exactly did this straw solution come from? Well, this fifth grader did a science project and basically guessed how many straws were thrown in the garbage each year. So what he did is he called a couple of straw companies, asked them how many straws they make a year, then multiplied that by how many straw-making companies were in America, and then just assumed that every single straw made each year ended up in the garbage. So, okay, for a fifth grader, that's pretty good and about what you would expect. But his numbers are now being quoted like scientific fact. So, just stop using straws. Problem solved. Except, no, we still have the same problem. And when I question that, when I question this, when I question the whole stop using straws, I'm a climate denier. Or people will say things like, well, every little bit helps. No, actually, that's stupid. It's like if you had a tub full of water and someone has a teaspoon and they're emptying out the water with a teaspoon. And I say, you know, there is this big giant plug down here we could pull. And they say, well, every little bit counts. No, that's stupid. Here's a real solution. All of the Western countries must demand that the continent of Asia and specifically those 10 rivers get cleaned up. We must demand it. We must say, you know what? We're not going to trade with you. We're not going to allow people to move from your countries into our country. We won't let you come to our schools. Nothing until those rivers get cleaned up. Now, that solution is much harder than just simply banning straws, but it is an actual solution. 
if environmentalism was a science, we would look at the data done by a fifth grader and say, that's nice kid, but it's not really scientific. Then we would look at actual things that could be done to fix the ocean. So when I use a straw, people think I just don't care about the oceans. Well, no, I care more than you do because I'm refusing to accept an unscientific solution and I'm demanding a real one. My town is looking to ban all plastic bags and straws. And at the same time, they're bringing in safe injection sites. So just to be clear, plastic needles to shoot heroin, totally fine. But grocery bags and straws have to be banned. And our federal government, which is already overtaxing us on gas, is thinking about bringing in a plastic tax. So an extra tax you have to pay every time you buy something made of plastic. See, if it isn't a religion, you can point out obvious problems here. You know what, California? California is the worst. You can actually go to jail if you get caught giving people straws. But they passed a law saying if you have sex with someone, knowing you have AIDS and you don't tell them that you have AIDS and then they get AIDS, that's not a crime. So giving someone AIDS is totally fine, but giving somebody a straw will send you to jail. Here's another example. Beto O'Rourke, who is running for the president of the United States, was talking about the Green New Deal and why we need it. And he said, this is the final chance. The scientists are absolutely unanimous on this. But we have no more than 12 years to take incredible, bold action on this crisis. Not to be melodramatic, but the future of the world demands it. No, actually, science does not say we're all doomed in the next 12 years and you are being melodramatic and the future of the world does not depend on the new green deal. What exactly is this new green deal? It's basically communism. The government controls everything. There's massive taxes. By the way, all the cows are killed in this plan. There's no more planes. You tear down all the buildings and rebuild them. It's completely crazy. So here's a different solution. You don't kill the cows. Everyone keeps their houses. Government doesn't control everything and we just plant more trees. Here's another sacred cow of environmentalist religion people don't want to question, recycling. So in 1996, New York Times science columnist John Tierney wrote an article called Recycling is Garbage. And here's a quote from there. Rinsing out tuna cans and tying up newspapers may make you feel virtuous, but it's a waste of time and money, a waste of human and natural resources. Americans have embraced recycling as an act of moral redemption. We're not reusing our garbage. We're performing a rite of atonement for the sins of access. Now, he got an awful lot of hate mail from that. But he actually, since then, 20 years later, he still believes the same thing. And he just had a new article out called The Reign of Recycling. So what does he say in this article? While it's true that the recycling religion has reached more converts than ever before, when it comes to the bottom line, both economically and environmentally, not much has changed at all. And what about recycling's future? It looks even worse. So maybe we should actually look into these programs and ask some questions, like how is it going? Because if environmentalism is a science, then you're allowed to do that. You can ask questions and look into it. But if it's a religion, you can't. Here's an article from Psychology Today. Recycling is not always beneficial and local sourcing is not always best. Every case needs to be assessed in its own merit. Yet faith in these credos seems bulletproof and is quickly becoming accepted dogma of our society generalizing from religious belief systems in general, these views are unlikely to be reopened or revisited in the light of new evidence. On the other hand, anyone who thinks of themselves as an environmentalist is committed to recycling, in addition to reducing and reusing. To offer qualification based on evidence is to risk being excommunicated from this group. More importantly, perhaps, the belief that environmentalism offers a recipe to live our lives in what can be perceived as righteous ways. 
These prescriptions shape our behaviors. Habits such as recycling are well-established and quite resistant to change, just like every religious ritual is. There you go. There's other things I would like to question, like why all of a sudden we hate CO2. Environmentalism will tell you it's a poison and it's killing us all. Science lets you ask questions and be critical. And here's some criticisms I have with the idea that CO2 is a poison. There has always been CO2 and it's never been treated as a poison. CO2 is needed for plants to live. And if we get our CO2 down to zero, the earth would become a desert and it would be unable to support human life. You actually breathe CO2 and you're not breathing out poison. Yes, there is more CO2, but that actually might be why we have this vegetation of our planet and it's grown by 20%. This will in fact mean more people are eating and we're actually helping the world hunger problem. What about melting ice? Well, ice has actually grown in Antarctica and Greenland in the last 30 years. It's grown by 112 million cubic kilometers each year. My friends living in Newfoundland and Labrador send me pictures of the giant icebergs every year. They're still the way they were when I lived there 25 years ago. The polar bear population is actually growing. It's just not time to panic yet. And on top of all that, our religious leaders jet around in private jets. By the way, this weekend, Trudeau flew a private jet across the country with his son so they could go surfing as a way to celebrate Earth Day. Anyway, our religious leaders, they jet around the world in private jets. They drive multiple cars to events, all the time continuing to preach to us lowly parishioners about the need to purify our lives from straws and meat and pay our penance at the gas station. Just the way the crazy religious priests don't have to follow their own messages. Here's another massive problem. Apparently, Canada has been shipping our garbage to the Philippines and they're demanding we take it back or they're going to declare war on us. So I have a question. Why are we shipping our garbage to Asia? So the solution to too much garbage isn't recycling programs or picking up our garbage twice a month instead of weekly. Honestly, having it sit in my home for an extra week doesn't make it disappear. These solutions don't work. So science says, question what you're doing, demand truthful answers, have others test your answers, and then find solutions that work. Religion says, how dare you question what we said? You're a climate denier. We're all going to die in 12 years. No, 10 years now because we have too many deniers. Quick, tax everything. Here is why we must cut out the religious parts of the environmentalism and get real science back in the driver's seat. There are actually real problems that need to be addressed. We really do need to clean up our oceans. We really do need to protect our natural resources. We really do need to make sure we are living with future generations in mind. But to find those solutions, we have to be allowed to ask questions and have open debate. No more sacred cows, no more prophets, no more heretics, no more meaningless rituals, no more sacred days, no more end of the world talk, just facts and real solutions. And one more thing, and this is the biggest one. Do you know what is extremely common in pantheism? What can be found in these types of religion all through history and across the globe? Human sacrifice. And with the religion of environmentalism, this has always been in the background, but now is being pushed to the front. In the States, AOC is telling people to not have babies. And in Canada, the CBC, which is the state-owned network, ran a show with this same theme. Abortion is being pushed as a way to save the planet. Less humans means better planet. This is human sacrifice, and it's becoming an essential part of the religion. And if you don't believe me, Pay attention to the messages that you see when you look at environmentalism and watch for how many anti-human messages you see. There is a strong call for less humans. You see, that is because pantheism is from Satan and his goal has always been to destroy humans. This is the essential difference between Christianity and the religion of environmentalism. Here's the truth. The world really was perfect. And it was man's sin that really did destroy everything. 
The Bible says God has used storms and natural disasters as a way to call us back to him. And in the book of Revelation, God says there will be massive disasters like we've never seen before. We are actually doomed until we're saved. But our salvation doesn't come from taxes or the government controlling things. Our salvation comes with God because God made himself a little lower than the angels, took on flesh, and humbled himself all the way to the cross. It is Jesus Christ who is our salvation, and our redemption comes when we confess our sins to him and believe in him. And the world will be perfect again one day when Jesus returns and sets everything right. So maybe you're listening to this and you go, wow, so you don't believe in environmentalism, but you believe in all of that? Yes, but I say that that is faith. And that's the point of everything I just said. It takes faith to believe in both of these. The question is, where is your faith? For the Christian listening, God told us to care for the earth. He told us to have dominion over the earth, not for the earth to have dominion over us. We are to care for the earth. We are not to worship it. Look closely at what you believe and what you are saying about the earth. That post that I read earlier that was really a religious prayer was posted by somebody who claims to be a Christian. Make sure you have not crossed that line and you are not worshiping a pantheism list of gods. For the non-Christian listening, I have two things. One, if you really want to help the planet, you need to stand up and demand the pantheistic religious elements of the movement leave and real solutions be brought forward. And also that asking questions and being critical needs to not only be accepted but demanded because that's science. Two, why do you think you're drawn into this movement in a religious way? I would say it's because you were actually created to worship. That is actually your purpose. You won't find contentment and happiness and fulfillment, not truly, until you understand that. There is actually only one God and he alone is to be worshiped. He doesn't hate humans. He doesn't look at you and just see a carbon footprint. You are not a problem that needs to be eliminated in order to save his planet. You are loved and cherished to the point he would come and die to make sure you could be rescued. The Bible says, choose you this day who you will serve. God does not allow you to worship him and another. You have to choose. The children at Zion Church in Sri Lanka were asked to make that choice. And they raised their hands, they bowed their knees, and they made that choice. And they are in God's presence today. They are a testimony and an example of who to follow. For more podcast videos and blogs, visit my website at lauraleesiemens.com. And I'll see you next week.